Welcome to episode 33 of the What's Up podcast recorded by Old Ricky Astro, the 24th of January 2019. Happy New Year to all our regular listeners and welcome back to a new year of astronomy podcasting. Um, uh, today's we're going to have quite a spherical themed episode which for astronomy seems somewhat fitting. We'll be talking about some double spheres, uh, spheres we've been to and spheres we're on. Uh, so just kicking us off with our, our spherical topics then, Ali, talking about double spheres. What am I on about? Double spheres, cool story, cool thing happened. Because the data is still coming back. I'm not going to talk about this too much. Um, but this was New Horizons. Uh, and I'm going to slap myself on the wrist for last podcast. I believe I called the name of the target that New Horizons was fast approaching as Ultima Thule with a stupid voice. Um, it's actually pronounced Ultima Thule. Uh, because I've yeah. since watched all the press releases, and uh, so I got it wrong, and I'm very sorry. I preferred um, your version, to be honest. Ultimate. If, if, we, could, if we could choose, <laughs> I? Uh, I think I think you were right. It's a slightly overdramatic name for what they're now nicknaming the uh, snowman object of the solar system, because um, the reason it's called a snowman is that this object it's uh, it's a contact binary, but it's a very pristine Kuiper belt object, so it's a leftover comet. But rather than the 67p rubber ducky big crazy cliffs and half eroded uh, this thing's much more the way it was for a very long time and it does just look like two snowballs stuck together uh, one chunky one one smaller one and the nickname is currently Ultima is now the fat one and <laughs> Thule is now the tiddly one in the head so um, it's actually really exciting and it was a nice uh, vindication for the people who were trying to guess uh, what the heck shape this thing was because to, to put it into perspective all of the pre-flyby pictures of this thing were dots and lumps and like nobody had a clue um, but there was a very clever set of observations where uh, Ultima Thule was going to um, occult a star from behind it so a much more distant star but the, this little uh, cometry like object was going to wander across it and it winks out a little bit of that light and you can observe it from different locations on the earth very carefully and you can see exactly when and how and where it winks out and you put all those observations together and you can go yeah it's kind of this shape so the people who had done that model kind of nailed it and got it right and there's still a lot of questions to do with you know how long's the neck of our snow person all this kind of stuff um and because the probe is so far away it's going to take i think they said two years <laughs> it's a very slow data down it's like, slow, it's like the equivalent it? of like a 28k modem or something to you know for all of us that spoil on broadband these days it's it's going to take a wee while to get the data down um but we'll be hearing more about this so i don't know if it's worth saying any any more at this stage but it's quite exciting because it's the first arguably the most pristine thing we've ever mm. seen in the solar system which is which is kind of cool Phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just brilliant. And the fact that it got so close. I mean, they were going I mean, it's so far away. The imagery beforehand was pretty basic because it's so far away. Yep. And it's everything is moving. It's moving so quickly. The object itself is moving so quickly. And to get it within that range. And the thing I hadn't even considered before was the fact that they were saying they were very confident. They were pretty confident they would get it close enough. But when you're traveling at 14 kilometers a second or something then to make sure you point your camera in the right direction is also absolutely critical um i'm not gonna lie that's that's the job i would not have wanted to have is (laughs) as you know when you see that first image come back and there's a small but finite chance that it might not even be in the field you just get the corner you just just get background stars there it was oh Oh, dear so um yeah i kind of fair play because that must have been some squeaky bottom time (laughs) while that was coming down so yeah it was it was quite fabby it's also kind of interesting to point out you're saying that it's 
a very slow data rate. One of the problems with space missions is that because you have to be so sure about the thing you are launching that is going to work, you kind of lock out your technology quite a long time before you launch it. A spacecraft rarely has the latest cutting edge things on it because actually you have to have tested that thing in space in some way or they often just rely on heritage, don't they? So so you've got something which was launched 10 years ago with a design which was probably completed 10 years ago um, or 10 years prior to that. So like it's a 20 year old piece of kit, six billion kilometers away. It's like the fact it's downloading any data at all is still just I, I, crazy. Well, don't, don't forget to shout out to Voyager 1. That's still oh, the well, most indeed, distant indeed. and it's still chugging away. It's still yeah. sending messages back as well. So, you know, well, so sometimes old school uh, wins the day, you know, the tortoise in the hair kind of thing. So, yeah. I'm Morse just, code, isn't it? Also? Yeah, the longer these things keep eking out, the better. I mean, don't make me no mosh code. It's one of the things I was never good at. <laughs> It's also interesting that you said because it's um, the sort of much more pristine double uh, double sphere double sphere um, object compared to something like Rosetta's Comet sixty seven P, which had been around the sun a few times. And you have to wonder, you know, did sixty seven P start off as this pristine object, and its trips around the sun have changed its shape, and that's why Ultima Thule being so much further and never having come near the sun is this pristine body. And you know, does that say that all objects start off like that and they change over time? That's a good point because the 67P science, I think Rosetta had like a, um, you know, radio measurements going through the comet to try and work out if it was two distinct blobs or if it was one blob with kind of a, a really thick joiny bit. And I think they came down on the side of it being two distinct things. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because it's, it's hard to get things to stick together in like uh, for people that are trying to work out how you build massive planets you can make little coffee sized grains of of stuff but then you as soon as you start smacking big grains into small grains uh, things start to obliterate one another and you go back to small bits and so there's problems to solve uh, and with ultima thule they ran the numbers and and to get these things sticking together in the way they have it's like fender bender speed so it's like a dunt into somebody's bumper in the car which is incredibly slow Uh, so you have to work out this kind of clever orbital sort of cheat so you have to throw away some orbital energy and you're maybe throwing away more debris to allow the two big things to come together so you're sort of clearing away all the tiny little things that are around and that helps you to wander closer without smacking in so fast that you're just going to obliterate yourselves and go back to square one so nudge together yeah i'm kind of looking forward because we might see more simulations of how Mm. ultimately actually managed to become it what it is which is pretty cool as well yeah Um, and i think it is amazing. It's not amazing, but it's it's Everything's exciting amazing. that there's, there are similarities between the shapes of the last two cometary body type things mm-hmm. we have visited. Um, it does kind of suggest that there's a pattern. And actually it's not. There's other things which we've seen which look sort of similar. Um, and actually you start off by saying about things being spherical. Um, that's the end point for large objects. Yeah. Um, but it does seem to be that actually probably most things in the solar system, if you just do this by numbers, most things are probably not round. Which, yeah. which, which is not the case, not, not what we'd have thought, maybe, <laughs> a few, you know, tens of years ago. Um, so In, incidentally, quite, there, there's going to be one other round, you know, on our, on our spherical topic. There will be one more teeny tiny round thing. And that is before New Horizons gets switched off, because I don't believe they've got any other targets in mind for it yet. But it, after it's finished downloading its data, I think they're going to turn around and do a solar system selfie again, a la the, the famous pale blue dot image. So that's good timing because that's about 30 years old this year, I think, from one of the Voyagers, Voyager 1, I think. Um, so it'll be nice to have another one of those to, to go, ooh, yes, we're still less than a pixel, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice. 
So speaking of sort of anniversaries coming around, uh, there's going to be a topic that comes up, no doubt, many times in this podcast, other Army podcasts, <laughs> and everything to do with <laughs> space travel this year, oh, which yeah. is, of course, the moon landings. Yay. When's that? <laughs> That's what, 50 years this year? 50 years. Which, yeah. yeah. So we so first set foot on the moon. Neil, Buzz and Mike, their mission isn't till July, but we've already passed the Apollo 8 anniversary and 9 and 10 are coming very fast. And then, um, yeah, obviously 11 is kind of like the big one because that was the first time humans had set foot somewhere else, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, but then there'll be anniversaries between now and uh, 2022 when we finally left the surface of the moon as well. So, yeah, I don't know. Do Loads you... of excuses to talk about the moon. It's fantastic, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a nice sort of hook in a way because it in, in a, sometimes when we're talking about all the astronomy stuff, you you sometimes lose that hook of how the heck do you do it? What's the, the kit that you need to actually do the thing you want to do? And like talking about getting squishy things like us off the ground become a little bit easier to relate to, you know, how what are you packing for the trip, all that kind of thing. And I think Apollo 8 was... I've said this before, it was probably my favourite because that's the first time humans ever left low Earth orbit. And on the sort of same subject as famous images like the pale blue dot, Apollo 8 gave us the Earthrise picture. And that had, I think it was Bill Anders, um, Frank Borman and Jim Lovell of Apollo 13 fame. And if you're keen, there's actually a YouTube video where NASA, I think five years ago now actually, they recreated in simulation exactly where the Apollo spacecraft was in relation to the moon. And they sort of freeze frame it every time they snap one of their famous pictures. It shows you which window it was taken out of. And it points out that they nearly missed it altogether because this was like their fourth lap around the moon. And it was only on that fourth time or fifth time, whenever it was, that they actually saw it through one of the windows in the command module and went, oh my God, <laughs> chucked me a camera. And then they were rushing about trying to get it. So it's kind of nice to sort of see that more human, slightly frenetic, give me, give me colour film, hurry, just chuck anything you've got, snap, snap. And then it wanders out of the windows as they're rotating slowly. So um, that's a, an interesting watch if you want to sort of get a feel for it. There's another one, if you Google... JAXA Earthrise, JAXA's J-A-X-A, that's the Japanese Space Agency acronym. Um, they have a probe called Kaguya, which I don't think is in orbit anymore, but was in orbit around the moon, and they have high-definition Earthrise videos. Very so nice. if you want to feel like an astronaut and just play one of them and turn up the, um, turn down the lights and just make it as widescreen as possible and, and enjoy what it might look like. Um, what was it? Um, one of Jim's quotes where yeah, if you put up your thumb uh, at arm's length, it's enough to cover the Earth from the distance of the moon. So that's something to bear in mind during all the Apollo chat, as it was blooming far away. <laughs> I, I, I think it's good to see the four, you know, the high definition version. But go and look at the grainy one. Uh, the grainy images are still exciting about about the graininess of the sort of just it, it, it's in keeping. You wouldn't want to see a you know, high def. That's very, very, very uh, new I, school. I kind of want both. I like the old school, but I, I like I do love a high def video as well because um, we'll come on to that in a little bit actually. Because I think yeah, there's there's, some there's, good there's more around, shiny yeah. videos to be talking about as well. So it's it's been a good a good four weeks since we were last chatting, isn't it? <laughs> I just want worth pointing out. There's going to be lots of events going on in Edinburgh, um, everywhere probably surrounding the moon landing stuff. We've already done our first uh, moon themed talk. Yeah, it which was fun. Was a really interesting one, and it actually something I do want to quickly plug. It was in association with an event called Museum of the Moon, which is a seven metre diameter 
inflatable glowing high definition printed moon which hangs in various places across the UK and Europe um in as as an art project the one in Europe will have, one in Edinburgh will have left the time our podcast goes live sorry i should say yeah <laughs> but if you get the chance to see it somewhere else i really really strongly recommend getting a chance to see it because it's just astounding oh just yeah it's like it's that's if you see the if you ever go out and you see the milky way and you're like oh then you but your brain does whatever whatever connection that is when you see this thing hanging there glowing and you just you could happily stay there for like an hour and it's, not not need to do anything it's surreal just, isn't it? oh just it, lovely it, also i think it's the fact that we often see pictures of a lunar crater and it might be zoomed in and you just see that crater in an isolated thing mm-hmm. but this is like seeing the zoomed in craters and the whole moon at the same time and you see where it is on the surface and you can see how you've got craters within craters within craters and at all different sort of scales i think or somebody talking about saying it's like a fractal pattern you know where every time you zoom in it looks kind of the same it's just brilliant um and because it's seven meters it's huge i mean you never normally look at a seven meter image of anything um, mm. so you get so much detail. so yeah i think although we're saying this as a kind of like oh you sorry you missed it it is i think i say i think there are a lot of them now on there so, yeah, so there's a number of them and they do tour pretty much continuously yeah. from what i've read so I th- uh, yeah. I keep an eye out is what i'm saying and they often six go to active ones oh. six active and i think the first one's been retired because it was getting a bit old um so um because it's sort of stitched together the the material that's that's printed so i guess they do have a shelf life <laughs> so uh, their website does have the tour dates and stuff yeah. and there are a few more uk ones for sure and they deliberately go to interesting places so the one we were um, seeing was in st charles cathedral in edinburgh but they often are in cathedrals i think that's been one of the i think that was how the the first as you say, it was an art, an art installation. Um, and I think it, there's something amazing about this juxtaposition of these ancient, great buildings with these sort of, this, the way it's lit, the way, I don't know, it's fantastic. Just go and find it. It was nice. I, I feel bad because I, I forgot to look up the name, but the original artist did come to St. Giles to make sure it was... Uh, get, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look do you have it? Yeah. it up. Yeah, go for it. Oh, well, oh. Yeah, I'm going off. Um, but it was nice because you know the artist is still going around making sure it looks the way they would like it to look in that space which i think is great because no two spaces like this are alike and they do a very nice job of making it you don't notice any of the rigging whatsoever it's like it's incredibly subtle and i was thinking this is an old building surely you're gonna have to have ropes coming in from every side just to make sure everything's fine you don't want to touch the masonry and it, it was just just hanging there it was really well done so yeah it was pretty cool I got all the emotional, so I did. <laughs> Luke Jaram, I think is the, the, the gentleman. Yes, he has a large picture of the moon as his Twitter profile picture. <laughs> it must be him. Well, thanks, um, Luke, because yes, it, it was yeah, awesome. legend. Well done. <laughs> it's and absolutely it, brilliant. I think in a similar vein, um, there's other events going on, as I said. The Pale Blue Dot Festival down at Jodrell Bank this year, I think, is going to be very much moon-themed because it happens to coincide with that weekend of the actual pole of anniversary. Mm. So I know tickets are on sale now or are about to go on sale. I think they just went live today, actually, yeah. So mm-hmm. if you're keen to to go to that, I would get a ticket very soon because I'm going to be sure it's going to sell out very quickly. We, have, we shall have to discuss what we're going to do about going down there. I mean, it, break your tents out. Road trip. <laughs> to be at Jodrell Bank <laughs> then. I mean, Jodrell Bank was receiving the signals. I mean, it's 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 a, well, sort of some of the Apollo missions anyway. Was, that, was he involved in 11? I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Say that again. What yeah, the, Jodrell Bank... T- Received singles from uh, Apollo missions, they, I, but I, I don't think, think were, it was eleven. Was it? Uh, I think they were part of all of the Apollo telemetry stuff because the, there's only so many dishes of sufficient size on the Earth's surface at the time of the Apollo era missions. I and thought it was all Sam Neill. 
<laughs> but you need um so when you've got Australia and America it's still nice to have some redundancy. Yes. So the I think Jodrell Bank was happy to lend their telescope when it was needed. I mean, but that's a really good question because I don't know if I, th- I have a feeling it was any of the lunar based missions. Right. So that's ten and up. So ten up to seventeen and eight you have to throw in because they, they went early. Yeah, um, so so I mean it really is our our closest link to the I mean for the UK. Um so to be there as good as you want well, if you're going to go to visit NASA which would be quite cool presumably around that weekend <laughs> I should imagine they're doing something they're probably imagine. celebrating something they'll do something I'm sure yeah. launch a Saturn V just for fun or, or. Uh, also keep an eye out there are pieces of the moon in the UK that, the, that NASA was kind enough to sort of donate as educational packages and these things tend to go to schools um, so if you have connections to anything you know get onto the website and see if you can't order them they're probably fully booked for the, the, the foreseeable future but there's something quite nice about actually holding one of those things in your hand knowing that a human picked that up and brought it back for you to see um, and when I say hold it in your hand yes it's in perspex because they're too precious to allow our sweaty hands <laughs> to get on them at all. Um, but there's something really kind of, I don't know, it sort of sets it in perspective that little bit more that somebody took the trouble to bring that all the way back. Uh, and if you can't do that, you can always buy a, a tiny fragment of a lunar meteorite, which is a little bit cheaper, um, but um, easier to get a hold of. But they are tiny. Uh, unless you're, you're as, as yeah. we discovered when we bought one recently, yeah, 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 just <laughs> a little dinky, sound. dinky little thing. No, <laughs> came from the moon. It was a little anticlimactic. <laughs> no, go and buy them. They're lovely. They're great. <laughs> so I mean, pulling away from anniversaries and bringing it really right bang up to date, uh, but keeping it on the moon. There's the Chinese rover mission. Woohoo! Yes. So Chang'e four. Did mm-hmm. you did you pronounce that right? Because you know. Because we'll get in trouble for the Ultima Thule thing. Changi or four. I thought is that how you say it. I, I don't know. So. I, I think it is. But well, we can correct it. This is the very exciting Chinese mission, which has landed successfully on the far side of the moon, which is the first time there's been a soft touchdown on the far side, uh, which mm-hmm. is quite a significant achievement. So, just as a uh, check there is the near side which is the side we see all the time the man in the moon the side which looks at us um but the moon is tidally locked so we only ever see that one side um and that means that the other side is out of sight out of mind um it's not the dark side because uh, it does get bathed in sunlight for an equal amount of time as the side which faces us um it's just we never see it so it's the far side um but because it's on the far side it's somewhat tricky to land on because you can't have any control over your spacecraft it's of course it's a famous sort of the side where the astronauts were going when like, Mike Collins was all on his own and mm. people were getting marooned when they were Apollo. Well, they weren't marooned, but they were, they were cut off from all of humanity when they went around the other side of the moon. And this poor little craft um, is also cut off from humanity, safe from um, a Chinese satellite, which is in orbit around the moon, which is, they're using to relay the signals. Otherwise, there'd be no way to communicate with it. Um, but they have successfully landed this thing in a crater, which is sort of, I suppose, depending which way you say is up, but kind of to the south. On the far side, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's only just round the corner uh, or at the bottom of the moon. If you're in the northern hemisphere, that's, that's a pretty <laughs> uh, vague description. But if you want to find out exactly where it is, there is an awesome coming back to the high dev videos. Um, you remember the name of that? Uh, Scott Manley. Scott Fantastic. Manley. Yeah, I think we've we've mentioned him before. He's got a really good YouTube account, and um, 
he digests exactly where they landed because they published this lovely high definition video and he's there matching it up to the high resolution maps already. So it's really fun to sort of see the two things uh, coming together. So I'd definitely recommend and, that. And again, you get that same feeling um, even in even more detail than looking at a moon inside a cathedral, um, but of, of going in closer and closer and seeing every single pit. And you know the fact that the moon has no atmosphere means that everything that has hit it over the last four and a half billion years is recorded is there on the surface leaving a scar as a slight simplification but for a very long time you have the sort of time capsules of different collisions and they're all there right right up until one of our landers comes in and blasts the surface clean with its rocket yes (laughs) Yes, there might be that issue um so they landed this thing um and then it's got a little rover which has trundled down the ramp um trundled away from the thing turned around and taken a picture they've taken a picture of each other so the lander's taking a picture of the the rover and vice versa which is very cute um I think the rover's going to sleep now because it's officially night time for yes. the rover. So it'll be a while before it gets <laughs> solar power back. Yeah. Because of that tidal locking thing, you know, it takes one month for the, the moon to go around, obviously, hence the name. Um, <laughs> it also takes one month for the moon to do a, an orbit, uh, sorry, to do a revolution. So its day is the same uh, length as its um, orbit, uh, which means that it's about half a month of night and half a month of daytime um, on, on any part of the moon. Um, so you've got quite a lot of night to survive. So yeah, a solar-powered little rover has to shut itself down, go to sleep for a while, and then it'll wake up again. Um, but some of the things they did initially in this, so they landed during the daytime on that side. I assume as a plan, it was actually right at the start of the lunar day, I think, mm. um, because then they had two weeks of lunar uh, daytime uh, to to try and do some of their experiments, which required a bit more warmth. Um, so one of the interesting things they were trying to do was to, to grow some seeds um, of diff- various different plants. Um, yeah, and, and insects as well. They insects, had fruit yeah. fly eggs. Which is quite intriguing, populating the moon with insects. Um, and they had success. Uh, so some uh, a cotton seed germinated and even apparently grew a leaf. I yes, had. yes, there was a stem and a leaf. Have you seen I've a picture? I've seen pictures, yeah. There is a picture. Oh, I, I missed these pictures. Um, which is, but there were quite a lot of seeds which didn't germinate. But yeah. but the poor thing, of course, has only lasted for two weeks because now it's plunged into lunar nighttime. The temperature drops massively and it's freezing. Yeah, I think something went wrong with the thermal control oh, on was that it package. Meant, oh, okay, so sorry. it's it's not that it got too cold, it's that it's going to bake. It's it's, oh. it's 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 um it's something to do with it. it's going to get up to 50 degrees and that's enough to wipe out everything yeah. in there and something either the shielding didn't work or the just the thermal controls that they had didn't quite work as as designed. There was also an issue where because you're getting stuff sort of almost secondhand because it's sort of getting tweeted yeah. by the Chinese mm. space agency and then mm. other people are sort of interpreting it. Apparently, one of the images that got retweeted was of the control sample on Earth, which has lovely green <gasps> shoots and everything. And so the the one that was on the moon was decidedly less impressive, but was you could still see the shoot. They grew um, a plant on yeah. the moon. Yeah, it's still a first. <laughs> yes. It is still Good a work. First. Although like, I found out that Apollo took mice to the moon. Apollo 17 what? had four mice with it. Was that deliberate or had they like sneaked in the stowaways? They were, they were, they were going to um, look at the mice to see what the effect of cosmic rays was on them. No. Uh, one of them passed away on the moon. They got the nicknames Huey, Dewey, Louie and Fooey. I can't remember what the last one was called. Isn't that Malcolm in the Middle? It's a, it's a strange thing because they, they, they were specifically chosen. It was a species of mouse that wasn't going to need food or water for the duration of the trip because they're quite self-sufficient um, and they have very minimal waste. Uh, so they were chosen as a representative um, sort of thing. But it is weird. As soon as you start looking into some of the details, it's like they did cram quite a lot into this. Are making this up? No. They seriously oh, took mice nice to Apollo, Apollo 17 had mice. Uh, I can go weirder than that. The Russians sent tortoises. There you go. They to sent, the moon. 
Yeah, it was tortoises. They sent two tortoises not to the surface that they did um, like around the back of the moon orbits. There's a whole list of animals that have been to the moon, including two tortoises, which I just find, of all the animals that you would send, they're definitely not the ones I would think of. <laughs> no. I suppose they've got a slow metabolism. Does that sort of I help? guess so. It kind of makes sense. Did they, did they survive? Yeah, yeah, they came back. What? I am pleased to report three of the four mice made it home intact <laughs> and then were probably dissected. Probably Tell all their, sorry, all their friends the, when they got back. I'm yeah. just been to the moon and shut up, Brian. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. But this is, so this is Chang'e 4, and they've got another number planned, I believe? Uh, the last thing I read said, I think they're planning up to at least eight. Um, so that means that there's enough things built. And the this is kind of fun in a way, because the, the way that NASA went to the moon was they designed the Mercury missions, then the Gemini missions, then the Apollo missions, and each mission had to tick a new box, do something that we've not done before. Learn how to keep somebody alive, learn how to bring them home. That's Mercury. Next one is learn how to rendezvous, learn how to dock. And learn how to navigate up there. And then Apollo was all about actually going the distance. Um, so with China, they've had a very similar approach, which is first thing needs to orbit the moon. Second thing needs to land on the moon. So they've now ticked that box and they've ticked it well because they've landed on the far this side. Is the second one. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. The so the, this is them upping yeah. the difficulty stakes. Yes. And then so the next lander is supposed to be the sample return lander. Um, so whether or not that's five or six, depending on how they're doing the numbering. Um, we should get new lunar samples for the first time since 1976, I believe, was the last Russian sample return. Uh, I mean, we need to double check that date, but we're getting new rocks if this thing works. And it'll be, I don't know, a um, couple kilograms worth, maybe. Um, but it's basically like um, Apollo in miniature. You've got to send technically two spacecraft down. One's the descent module. You do your drilling, you grab everything you need, and then your reascent module will separate off and go back up into space and come home. Quite a big so, step, isn't it? It's going to be quite exciting, yeah, though, because we'll, we'll get more pretty pictures. And, yeah. you know, I think it's nice, the timing in a way, because it's, it's, we are talking about going back for the first time in a long time, which is really cool. I'm so, guessing they do that one on the near side. Uh, I think Not so. Not to make it too hard. Yes, it's, it's, it's <laughs> nice to be able enough. to talk to your probes yeah. without yes. having to worry about the relay satellite. And then I think if, that, if that's successful, they've got enough spare probes lined up that they can try more and more difficult landing sites, you know, the, mm. the crazy rocky terrain ones. and. Yeah, I think Chang- Chang'e's well with it sort of harder to get into the orbit yes yeah. um, but there's fun stuff in the South Pole mm. where you've got permanently shadowed craters and they were talking about the potential of maybe even 3D printing some stuff so you could allow your rovers to start laying out very basic infrastructure because lunar regolith contains quite a lot of different minerals and elements mm. and you can in theory process that and turn it directly into solar panels for example and you could start experimenting with that so some of it sounds very now, fanciful. Now, now he's making it up. But the first 3D printed object on the moon will be another first. And it yes. looks like China's on course to try and do that anyway, which is kind of fun. I mean, we've got to give the lander credit too, because it was doing smart stuff with its radar, LIDAR, I think. Yeah. So sort of using a laser to bounce off the surface and um, sort of parked just off the off the ground and, and measured where all the boulders were and decided where the safe spot to land was. So mm. it's, I think that system seems to have worked really well. Um, and that's nice as well because all of these successes will mean we can go back more often and for cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm planning my ticket already. <laughs> well, but it is part of the, the plan, isn't it? With the, I mean, okay, the current Changi program is, you say, is not is leading up to sort of more interesting scientific experiments. But I think everyone would say that China have got it in them in their minds that at some point they will try and send some people. Yeah, um, it's I mean, it, be it does feel like the superpower flag step, doesn't it? You know, you want to say the century is ours. 
boom. <laughs> um, and I think, I think I think that might well might well happen, which will be fascinating. I think in terms of geopolitical impact, but that's different. Yeah. British podcast. Probably. Well, I, I I hope that they put as much of it on live telly as possible. Yes, because I think uh, you know I, I, we see so much more of the American missions to the moon because they yes. were done on live TV a lot of the time, and you see a lot less of of Russia's missions. Um, because a lot of that's still, um, you know, sort of locked away, and you see archival pictures and stuff, but you don't always see, um, uh, you know, you don't have massive crowds looking at every launch. It was a much more of a closed book there. So I, I hope China is willing to allow people to become yeah. part of that a wee bit and just oh. get in the excitement of it all. So I we'll see what happens. There seemed to be more press about this lander than I recall from the last one. Um, maybe because it definitely had that very much like a first. Mm-hmm. We're landing on the far side of the moon, mm. but. Hopefully they'll increase that because, as you say, it's like, okay, you're doing it. It's your country, but but everyone's excited. Um, and if you want to get the maximum return from it, tell the world. Um, so, yeah, interesting to see what happens. Fingers crossed. I may have to start learning some Chinese though to help with the press releases, just to sort of um, get, get like that thing with the shoot being tweeted by people before they realised it was the control sample and not this. So just little things like that, you've got to be careful of. Yeah. Oh, we've got four weeks till our next recording, Ali. So I expect you to be versed in uh, basic Mandarin by the time that comes yeah, around. Okay, <laughs> that's my homework. <laughs> we'll see how you get on by next time. Thanks very much for listening. Cheers, all. Bye. Bye.